<sighs> so we're finally back in New York this week. Yeah, I miss your Chevy Equinox rental oh, car. Good times in there. Memory. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. I am Lou DiPietro. To my across, as we tape today, is Doug Williams, my co-host extraordinaire. We are back in the studio as opposed to my rental Chevy Equinox, where we... As uh, fun as it was. Yes, where we taped our last edition of the podcast, which was pretty uh, pretty interesting if you watched it. Um, definitely an experience. We'll yeah, put it, that it was way. funny. It was like the first thing that I had edited to to bring out the humor in something. So, like... The first 30 seconds of just kind of like cuts of outtakes. funny stuff. Outtakes. Yeah. That was fun. We had to cut out the ones where I uh, I swore or uh, the ones where the camera actually I fell thought, off the dashboard. Yeah. I thought we were like good to go there for a while. And then you would swear and we'd have to start over. I'd take a hard turn. This happens more than people know. Yeah. It does. Especially when I'm driving and there's a camera flapping around on my dashboard. Um, so... Our plan today, Lou, is, you know, talk a little bit about generic sports. Sports. I mean, we have to acknowledge what's going on in the world of our sports since we, you know, were last on the air, which was four days ago. We don't really have all that much to talk about in terms of the Yankees that we didn't talk about in the car. The Yankees cut a dozen guys like the next day, which, you know, nobody was going to make the team really anyway. Uh, The Nets are still doing well. Um, March Madness is here. Awesome. So, uh, you know, I missed you a little out of bracket. Uh, I have, I have several, but I missed the selection show because I was on the plane and the plane I was on apparently didn't get CBS. I, I don't know how that was all about, but well, you were on a plane with television. Count your blessings. I, I didn't fly. That's true. Yeah. I didn't fly true. a uh, airline with television. Uh, you know, this may be the best time of the year. I wish I was, I was in Las Vegas actually last year at this time for March Madness, which is an experience that everybody should have. Um, March Madness is just a great time. It is. It's a blast. Th- this week might be the best week of the sports year. The Super Bowl, World Series, all that stuff aside, this is wall-to-wall just excitement, starting, upsets. Starting tomorrow. Starting, starting tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. And the thing about it is I'm hoping I do well this year because I've paid probably less attention to college basketball this year than I have in the past decade. So I'm just kind of hoping my gut feeling works as opposed to trying to overanalyze 12-5 upsets like I usually do. Yeah, I. it's bad because you get on that, like, it, it's almost like a ticking clock right now because starting tomorrow morning, you can't go back and re-edit your bracket. No, nope. once you're busted, you're and, busted. And here's the problem. You're either going to end up being right about your first picks. Or being horribly wrong. Right. And, but here's the thing. If you go back and correct yourself, you're going to feel dumb. Right. If you get it wrong. Exactly. And, the, and like, the, the chances are you're going to. And then if you go back and you correct yourself and you get it wrong, you're going to be so mad at yourself for not sticking with your gut. Right. Most of the time, you end up the least angry if you just go with your gut. Well, I have Florida or Arizona beating Florida as the national champion in just about every bracket I have. So I have Arizona losing to Oklahoma State. Hmm. That's an early. That's an early loss. Was that second, third, fourth round, whatever they call yeah, it now? Yeah, I have. I have Wichita State and Arizona both losing early. Wichita State, yeah, I could see them losing early. I have them losing to Kentucky so in a couple of brackets in the. I guess it's now technically the third round. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's it is what it is there, but we'll see. Starting tomorrow at twelve twenty, you get the uh, the excitement, the madness, if you will, of March Madness. But be sure to watch the Yankees on. 
yes tomorrow night. Yeah, Yankees the Red Sox. are still yeah. more interesting. Yeah, watch the Yankees on yes against the Red Sox. We're not getting night. ahead of ourselves here. <clears throat> no. So anyway, with all that out of the way, we decided Doug and I were going to uh, do something a little fun this week uh, while we were in Tampa. I should say last week while we were in Tampa. But we decided to save it knowing that w- once Saturday rolled around, we were only a few days away from a podcast and wouldn't really have much to talk about. So we're, we're stealing an idea. I as, say, I, as I put my feet up. As Doug puts his feet up. I say we're stealing an idea because this is um, – Doug and I are both frequently readers of uh, Barstool Sports. And uh, they blogged about this. And the topic at hand is this. If you could change one rule in every sport or in any sport, what would it be? And with all the all the rule changes in baseball this year and everything that happened in football last year with, with new, you know, replay rules and football with the new overtime rules recently and all the things that have changed, Doug and I kind of have had this argument a little bit. So we, we figured why not bring this to you and, and you guys can chime in. You can tweet at us. At Lou DePietro, yes. Yeah, at nobody Doug ever Williams, tweets yes. at us about the podcast. Like, you should. Tweet at us. Tweet at us. If you have a Twitter account, we'll, we're not cool enough to not respond to you. Right. We'll respond to you. Right. Especially if you're nice to us. Yeah. Then we'll definitely respond. If you're mean to me, I'll also respond. But don't, you know. Don't expect as nice a response. Don't expect a nice response. Okay? Just respond to us. Tweet yeah. at us. So you tweet listen at to us. the podcast. Yeah, tweet at us. Let us know. What would you change? What do you think about our ideas? Uh... You know, how's the weather wherever you are? Whatever. Just tweet at us. We'll, we'll answer you back. Seriously, yeah. we're not that busy. Do it. Do it. Ricardo and Cole, do it. So I guess we should start with our wheelhouse is baseball. Yeah. And we have, you know, like I said, we have the home plate collisions rule has been kind of modified, revamped, added, however you want to look at it. Right. The question is not even – it's just any existing rule. Right. What would you change? Right. Well, we now have instant replay, so that gives away right. like the, That's uh, a big the one. obvious one. So – I. I kind of struggle to to think of of which one I would want to go with with baseball, but I think, in all honesty, the, the one rule I would change in baseball. I mean, I, I think it's kind of a. I understand the point of the rule, but I think the manager only being able to come out once per inning to talk to a pitcher, whereas the second time he now has to replace the pitcher, kind of lame. Yeah, that's an interesting one because, like, in college basketball, it seems like coaches have, like, 23 timeouts to talk to their players. Right. And pitching is you're doing it on your own and you're not allowed to talk to them two right. or three times. The catcher can go out there almost unlimited times, it seems, but the manager can only go out once an inning. Yeah, that seems weird. I mean, I understand that might add to the game in terms of time. I mean, if the manager's going out there every batter, like, okay, do this, okay, do that, okay, do this, okay, do that, but... Yeah, I, I think it's either that or perhaps an extra inning substitution rule, where if the game goes extra innings, you're allowed to put one player back in the game, you know, something yeah. like that. That's realistically, with replay now part of the game, in in terms of more than just fair, foul, home run or not, I, I mean, baseball is pretty pretty good in terms of the rules. Yeah, I, I'm. you know what, Lou, I'm going to go with kind of a typical one. Um and it goes kind of against what you were just saying, not at all in the same arena, but I want to make baseball more exciting, uh, you know, because baseball is my sport. It's what I love the most. But I understand that there are people out there that like to watch LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony score 50 points in the excitement of a mid-April uh, uh, baseball game just isn't there for them. So what I would do, I'd get rid of pitchers hitting. It drives me insane. The purists of this game that like to see the pitchers hit, who haven't focused on it 
since they were 17 years old right. is pointless. It's pointless. It's an automatic out. It is boring for the sake of being boring. It's boring for the sake of keeping the 75-year-old baseball fans out there happy. Right. Realistically, in 30 years, it's going to be a whole new crop of fans who want to see more exciting games. And, and yeah, at, at, to your point there, the National League is the only league in the world where pitchers hit. All the way up from Little yeah. League. Yeah, I mean, Little League is a little different, but all the way up from high school to college to you know the minor leagues, internationally, the pitchers don't hit. And I, I avoided that one. I avoided the DH rule when, when coming up with mine just because I know that's one of those things that's going to be the hot-button issue as far as rules go, until they make a change. Well, to me, so goes, I kind of wanted to avoid that, but I see, I, I see your point. It goes along with replay. It's just let's let's join the 21st century, folks. I mean, we have an opportunity to have a guy in, in every lineup that can hit 30 home runs and drive in 100 RBIs, right? And instead, we're putting in a guy who's hitting 117 with an RBI all year, right? Just because it's the way it is, it's archaic. I think with the extreme specialization of baseball, too. It's not going to take away from pitchers, and in fact, it's going to make hitters more of a commodity. It's going to give yes. it's going to give guys like Vlad Guerrero or Carlos Beltran maybe in a couple of years, or you know Edgar Martinez. I'll use just because he's the, the the benchmark for DHs. It's going to give guys like that who are hitters, professional hitters, the chance to have sixteen, fifteen more job openings. Yep. And prevent the Red Sox from having to do something like, oh, say, play David Ortiz at first base and then Adrian Gonzalez in right field like they did a couple years ago. How about how about pitchers getting hurt, getting hit with pitches? How about pitchers getting hurt running the bases? How about like Chin Ming Wong? Yeah, exactly. Jinx. You owe me a Coke. Jinx, I win the argument. Damn. Um, I just it, – it makes absolutely no sense to me. You want to put the National League and the American League on an even keel, on an even playing field. You can't do that right. if you have a different lineup. So if if I was a professional pitcher and I hated hitting, both of which, you know, I was a pitcher in high school and I hated hitting, I would go to a team in the American League over the National League so I didn't have to look silly three times a game. Right. And you might have to hit once or twice a year in an right. early, in early game. But because still. the National League is so behind right. and inept. But then that would also change the rules, you know, change the scope of an interleague game too because you have several – American League teams that have, you know, very good DHs that you lose out of the lineup. Right. You wouldn't have that anymore. And you have a few National League teams that have a very good, I guess, would technically be a ninth man instead of a tenth man. You know, the Dodgers this year, for instance, the the interleague games that they play in American League parks gives them a chance to put all four of their outfielders in the lineup. So their DH is probably a better hitter than most teams' actual hitters. But then you have a team like, say, the Marlins, who barely have enough Major League talent as it is. Now they got to find somebody to DH. Yep. And then on the other hand, you have, you know, teams like, who knows, Seattle, you know, does Seattle have a full-time DH? Do the Orioles have a full-time DH? Somebody that's going to, you know. They should. The Yankees, I guess, I mean, you could say it's Beltran and Soriano if you really want to look into it, but then one of them is going to be out of the lineup. I don't think you need you know? a full-time DH. You, you need a guy <laughs> that's rotating in and out. And you know what it does so well? It prevents injury. Right. Uh, you know, so there are people out there that don't think that the DH is a productive uh, position, but you know, hitting is what sells out. Hitting ballparks. is yeah, chicks so, dig the long ball. Uh, moving on, next sport. Let's go with football. Football. I'm going to let you lead this one off, Lou. Oh man. <laughs> You know what I'm going to do? I, I know you're going to have obscure answers to all these, but I'm going to go with the obvious ones that are in the headlines, and I'm going to go with the extra point. Uh, what I would do with it. 
is an interesting question. Right. Um, the 42-yard field goal, I, I was talking to an NFL player actually a few weeks ago. And uh, I asked him, you know, do the kickers like that? And he said, no, they hate it. I, he said, I don't think they realize that it's going to make them a lot more money if they have to hit 42-yard field goals for an extra point. But they just don't like the added pressure. It's a harder situation for them. And kickers are already have the kind of job where they are they get no praise when they're good and they get all the blame when they're bad. Right. I think what you do is you put more emphasis on the two-point conversion. Now, I don't know how you do that. But two-point conversions are an, a very exciting play. The amount of different you know bootlegs you can do, you can do play action, you can just run it up the gut. There's a lot of ways to do it. The extra point is kind of just bleh. It's just there. People make it. You know, It's not an actual challenge. I would I would want more two point conversions and and yes if you have the ball at the end of the game and you need you need you know eight points the two point conversion isn't a sure thing anymore but it's that way for both teams and right. you it, you know it makes being in a position to win earlier in the game even more important than it is now absolutely and you know what I, I know you say I'm going to have obscure answers for these because I, I that's kind of how I tend to operate with things but I am a hundred percent in agreement with you on this one the extra point should be modified. I mean, people miss five a year out of hundreds of, of touchdowns that are scored, whereas five extra points missed a year, if that. I think, honestly, as much as this might sound strange, the XFL had a pretty good template for this. There were no extra points. If you wanted one point after the touchdown, it was from the three-yard line. If you wanted, you know, two-point conversion, it was from the five. So is a five-yard play harder than a three-yard play? Is it worth another point? Up for debate. The two-point conversion may be hard enough in some people's eyes, but you know what? That's that's the way. If you're going for extra points, it shouldn't be a cakewalk. Right. So it's points. And plus, a five-yard even even you know even in the end zone, a five-yard play gives you a little bit more of an option than a three-yard play does. You you can run a little bit. Obviously, deeper is not the right word, but you can run a little bit different of a pass route. You can run a shorter out on a three-yard play because it's a kind of a quick curl and you, and you strike. But you need to have a more intricate play for farther away. You can't just run kind of an inside draw and hope. Yeah. So, you know, perhaps if they did something like that, would it eliminate the kicker? No, because there would still be field goals. You know, you still need a punter. I mean, there were games. there's games where the punter doesn't punt. There's games where the kicker's only kick is is the kickoff. I mean, that's the way football is. If you get shut out, your kicker's only try is the kickoff. Yep. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And uh, I actually didn't know that that was your, your argument as well when I, when I chose it. So nope. I'm glad we're in agreement on that. Nope. And like I said, the DH rule, again, in baseball, like that's the obvious one. And I tried to stay away from that just because, A, I kind of figured you would. And, B, it's like I said, it's going to be one of those issues that – just polarizes the game right. now that there's there's more replay and collision rule and all that other stuff. So, you know, I would I would agree with you on that one too. I don't want that to be like oh, I think the DH sucks. Right. So uh, NBA, you first. NBA, yeah. This is kind of an obscure one, but I guess it's something that changes things in terms of late game situations. I do never, I do not ever want to hear the phrase first foul in the last two minutes ever again. The NBA rule says. You can commit five fouls per quarter before the team gets automatic. The opposing team gets automatic free throws. So if you commit one or zero for the first ten minutes, and you commit one with one fifty nine to go, every subsequent foul equals free throws. I understand why it's done like that. Still stupid. 
Yeah, because it's reward. It's it's not rewarding teams for not no. fouling, right? No, exactly. That's the point. It's not rewarding you for playing clean basketball. Um, I, if there's one thing I would change about the NBA, and I guess it's not a specific rule, but it's kind of an unwritten rule. Um, the idea that superstars get calls that other people don't. It totally blasts the integrity of the league. I mean, the NBA has a lot of gray area when it comes to integrity in the first place, if you ask me, in terms right. of the way games are called. Or if you ask Tim Donaghy. You right. Know. That's yeah. what I mean. And to say that, you know, Kevin Durant would get called for something that Kevin uh, Channing Fry wouldn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, yes, they're very good, but that doesn't occur in any other sport. A foul is a foul is a foul. Right. So you have to call the game the same way, right. you know, and 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 the idea that uh, refs don't call fouls in certain situations, you know, you have to stand by what you believe you know about the game if you're a referee and say that's a foul. I don't care who it's against. I have to call it. I don't care if there's five seconds left in the fourth quarter of the NBA Finals. You have to put your reputation on the line because that is your job. That is a foul. If it's a foul, it's a foul. It doesn't matter. Yeah, like you said, it doesn't matter if it's committed on LeBron James right. with five seconds left in the NBA Finals or on you know Tim Hardaway Jr. in the first quarter of a Knicks-Kings game. Yep. It doesn't matter. It should be a foul. It's the, well, you, you're supposed to take sports seriously because right. sports are fun, but they're suppo- you're not supposed to think, is that really what the referee saw or is he just kind of wavering because it's a superstar? And that's people not are, what the, sp- fans should have to worry about. Players are making millions of dollars to make other people millions of dollars, so it shouldn't come down to the hands of the, of the guys who aren't directly involved in the making of the millions of dollars, right. so to speak. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree completely with that, you know. I'm sorry it's not an actual rule. No, and but that plays into my change in that, you know, if you play clean basketball for 10 minutes and then you commit two fouls back-to-back, you should have, you know, you shouldn't have one foul to give. You should have four fouls to give. That's the rules of the game. It would be like saying, uh, you know, at the end of the game uh, in baseball, after the seventh inning, three balls equals a walk. Right, that's You're completely very true. changing the scope of how teams yeah. play defense. That's a good comparison. So it's it's kind of a wash there. A lot of things about the NBA. Uh, well, they're the same things in college, like the charge versus block. the charge block rule drives me nuts because it's not actual defense. You're just doing it for the chance at a foul. Fouls should not rule the game the way they do. Right. So you know you shouldn't just be able to go jump towards the basket, hit somebody, and throw up a shot you know is not going in, and that's like a good play. That drives me nuts. Teams in the Big East for the last 10 years have been doing that. It's been Games have been 55-50 because it's all foul shots. Nobody can hit a three to save their life. That's why I like ACC basketball. It's a shooting game. Right. And uh, I think basketball was built on shooting, not the guys inside they get fouled and can put up three throw, free throws. I know that that's kind of where the game's going, but I just wish the foul had less to do with the outcome of games. Well, then why don't we why don't we switch gears a little bit to college? To college, all right. Uh, before we go into hockey, let's go to college basketball because that's a rule I would change in college basketball. Is the three point line should be uniform? What do you, you mean? Like it should be the same? In the it NBA? should be the same as the NBA. This, to me, is, again, much like how I said it, it changes the scope of a game, like three balls is a walk after the seventh inning. The three-point line being shorter hurts guys in the long run, I think, because you're teaching guys to make 
you know, there's plenty of players in the NBA, like Steve Novak, for one, who are three-point specialists. By having the line further in in college, you're teaching these guys that these are now, like, deep jumpers right. in the NBA as opposed to three-pointers. Low-percentage shots in it the would, NBA. Right. It would, help, it would help the scoring for college basketball, for one thing. But it, to me, it's like saying, okay, well, the bases in college baseball are 75 feet and the fence is 50 feet further in. Still the same game, yeah, same yeah. ball. I mean, the guys are, you know, between 17, 18, and 21, 22 years old. So, you know, it's not like they're they're still developing. Like, you know, you can't do that in Little League. You know, you can't have 90 feet bases and 350 feet, you know, to, to the power alleys in Little League because nobody's ever going to get them there. Yeah. But in college basketball at this point, with all the one and duns and guys that are going into the NBA, it's not going to be that difficult a transition from high school to college to the pros. Yeah, um, <laughs> I actually – I have a lot of problems with uh, college basketball. I think the cheerleaders should not make the trip to the NCAA tournament so we don't, we don't have to hear, bro, 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 like it's the same noise every time. That sounded sort of like a Nintendo video game <laughs> chant right there. Like, Yeah, I don't know. I may cut that out. Um, I just think that college basketball itself – is a two minutes left in the second half game. It just ends up being a half hour of the last two minutes. How many timeouts do they need? They have a lot. They have so many. And then the one and ones and the double bonus and the different oh, foul structure plays gosh. into that. But that's not as egregious, I don't think, as, as other things. I think the amount of timeouts is crazy. I think the length of the play clock is crazy. Yes. That, that would, is such a long time. That would be the, if, if they change the NBA three-point line to, to go to college, that would then be my next. I would say the length of the playcock would be my, my number one just yeah. because, you know, it's it's so long. It's 10 seconds longer. Right. And, again, that plays into the whole decision-making process where guys have 35 seconds to come up with something as opposed to 24. You need to be able to think a little quicker in the NBA game. It's faster. Right. I do. I will say, Lou. The one way I disagree with you is: Do you ever hear about guys that are in college and are great three-point shooters and great players overall, and then get to the NBA and they stink for that reason? Adam Morrison. Well, I think Adam Morrison stunk for a few reasons, not just because he was used to, you know. No, but the Adam Morrison. By saying Adam Morrison, I mean yeah. There are guys whose games don't translate to the pros. As yeah. well. I mean, there's reasons, you know, there's also guys in college who are 6'4 power forwards, so that doesn't really translate well to the NBA right. either. That's the point I'm making. But I, don't, I don't think I hear about guys that can hit threes like crazy in college and can't hit a three to save their life in the NBA. No, I, I mean, it's not, it's not one of those rule changes that's going to make all of a sudden scoring, okay. you know, balloon. Right. But it's one of those things that it's, like I said, it's like having the bases in college baseball be 70 feet instead yeah, of 90. Yeah, I think you're fundamentally right. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, the the play clock is a big issue, and would be my next one, if uh, or the shot clock, I should say, not the play clock. The shot clock would be my next. Like, okay, let's change this if they ever change the, the three point line. But yeah, I really of all the rules that are different, the the court structure I think should be at least you know what, what's next? Should they lower the hoop to nine feet? I mean, like you know, just come on. Yeah, got to be a little structural integrity there. Yep. So with that, let's let's. Finish off college before we move on to hockey and finishes out college football. Again, same thing with college basketball. There's a lot of rule differences, nuances, things like that. What do you think? College football, what would you change? 
If you had to guess what mine's going to be, given my what answers I've said thus far about other sports, it's going to be something to do with timing issues. No, no. What's the like the elephant in the room rule that people talk about in college football? Well, there's a lot. There's the one foot in bounds rule. There's the clock stops on a first down. You're thinking on the field. I I got nothing. I'm drawing a blank. I think they should get paid. Wow. Really? Of course. Of course. How much money do these programs make for these schools? And how little do these kids see for it? I mean, so many of these players go to play at schools like Alabama and LSU. They're in rural areas. They grew up poor. The fact that they can't get paid for making money for their school is silly. It's silly. I agree to an extent. And the reason I say that is because I went to a school that has a D1 football team that is god-awful. Right. They stink. They wouldn't make as much money as They wouldn't make as much money. But it's not only that they, they wouldn't make as much money. Football loses money at schools like that. By, so maybe they would have to consider having a football program. By, but by paying, I think by paying players in that realm, you would completely change the landscape of basketball maybe not so much because you see teams like Wichita State – you know, Gonzaga, these mid-major teams that become powerhouses. But in football, you would pretty much probably end up splitting Division One a or FBS or whatever it's called now. You would probably end up splitting that into another tier entirely. You'd have 30, 40, maybe 50 teams that make money as it is that would then still at least turn somewhat of a profit or small loss by paying players versus teams like Temple, Navy, I mean, you know, it's you got. Well, Navy, let me ask you. You something. have Navy, Army, and Air Force, or service academies. Let They're not ask, paying these guys to be college athletes. They're paying them to be military. How different is is what we have now from what you're describing? We have a few dominant schools, and everyone else stinks. We have the same schools being good every year. If we added salaries, that wouldn't change to an extent. I think the structure of the what was the BCS and now things like that have a lot to do with that too. But the reason that you see these schools every once in a while like Ball State or Northern Illinois from the MAC or you know these these BCS busters that come in they get one good team they're together for a while it happens on the whole football does not make the MAC a lot of money if any and most of the money they make comes from those random one-off BCS bowl appearances and even then the teams that go to those bowl games still kind of end up losing money on them while the conference as a whole makes umpteen million dollars all right here's what i'll say and, and this is never an argument for a changed rule, but it kind of is. So, you know, I don't know exactly why. I could have the total wrong reason. It just could have been these kids having these cars. But I went to a school with a football program that was Division One AA. And there were football players driving Ford Mustangs, brand new. This is... Multiply it by ten at schools that are Division One and doing well. They just these football players happen to have things that normal guys don't. They happen to have nicer cars. They happen to have nicer clothes. They happen to seem like they don't even have to go to class. Paying athletes, we get the elephant out of the room. Part of that is part of what you just said comes with an insinuation though that something illegal might be going on. Well, which is which is really something well, you have to consider across the board. Right. That's what I'm saying, Lou. Is that right now it's illegal. Right now, it is not allowed. Everything is happening underneath the desk. Right. Why not put it out in the open? Why not allow us to say, you're going to make a lot of money for my school. 
I should reward you for that. We're not talking about paying them millions of dollars here. We're talking about evening the playing Something. field. Evening the playing field and doing it legally so that we don't have to do it behind people's backs. See, the NCAA is a little bit of a wet blanket in terms like in terms of that anyway. I don't remember what school it is, but I remember reading a couple months ago about how a, a fairly well-known university had to like self-report a secondary violation because some of their players attended a banquet and one guy ate more than he should have. Like kind of thing. Like it seems like an onion story, but yes. it's, it, it's real. It happened. Yes. So the NCAA is kind of a, you know, like I said, they're a wet blanket in terms of that anyway, in terms of granting people eligibility. And, like, they're just – they're on a power trip of epic per- proportions. I, I, I think it may end up valuing education more in these kids' heads because if they're making money, it takes that, well, I want to go to the NFL. I want to get do whatever I can to get out of here before I can so I can go to the NFL and make money. Now it changes because they're in college. They're taking classes. And they're making money. So they don't have that, you know, voice in their head that says, look, you grew up poor. Even if you didn't, I have the chance to go to the NFL and start making a lot of money. If you're in college and making money, maybe you value your education more without right. that that influence. Well, you know, college football does have one thing going for it in that with their, their jump to the NFL, you have to be three years out, out of your high school graduating class to, to play in the NFL. That's kind of a, a gray rule. It's not necessarily the NCAA or the NFL's rule explicitly because while it does affect – you know, one of them has the rule in place that affects both entities. That would be maybe the other thing I would change about college basketball is that I think the one-and-done rule is hurting a lot of things in terms of both money, in terms of quality of the game, and in terms of NBA readiness for these players because there's guys that are going to school for one year that think they're better players than they are. Coming out, they drop in the draft and they become nobodies. Right. Nobody, you know, everybody remembers LeBron James and Kevin Garnett and these guys that came right out of high school. Nobody remembers D'Antonio Wingfield, who thought he was on that same level, came into the NBA, flopped, and is probably now selling cars or insurance somewhere. Right. And I think that, you know, when you come out of school two years, you're not any smarter than coming out of school one year. The thing is, it, it totally depends. It depends what courses you're taking. It depends on what your education is. I knew what I took as a freshman at Temple, and you know what it was? It was eight classes that I took as a senior in high school and, like, intro to broadcasting. Right. Which so, would have been a total waste. Right. Of, and, and, and saying that you went for one year in college, you know, isn't that important. Now, I don't think you're that much smarter after two years. I think no. it totally depends. You can take your best courses freshman year, or you can take your best courses senior right. year. It's just for the NFL to say – yeah, you can come to us after three years since you've graduated high school or whatever. You're not actually making sure these kids are educated. They might be missing out on some of the greatest courses and teachers and lectures that they have available to them at their new school. That's true. But that also what that also does, though, is that, as you said, you know, you have guys that I'm not saying they would, but I'm just going to name a couple of names because they're the hot like one and done guys. Uh, Julius Randle, Andrew Wiggins, that group of people that are now – you know we're probably going to be the top picks in the NBA draft this year. Yep. Kansas is not going to see Andrew Wiggins again Jabari after they're Parker. eliminated from the tournament. Yeah, Jabari Parker, Julius Randle, all gone. What's stopping them from even just saying, forget this, signing up for classes, paying attention for one semester, 
and then doing nothing this year. Nothing. They know they're leaving. Nothing stopping. So them. there's nothing stopping them from that. Whereas if you have a guy who's playing college football who needs to go to school for three years, like Jadavian Clowney or Johnny Manziel or any of these other guys that are going to come out as either redshirt sophomores or juniors this year, they can't just cheese off class. For three years, they actually have to go and learn something or at least attempt to learn something and pass five semesters worth of classes before they go to the draft as opposed to one. Yeah, that's and true. I'll give you and I'll give you a perfect example of of how that works in the long run. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to embarrass this person if he's listening. There was a player at Temple University when I was in school. Who declared for the NBA draft. He was the starting center on the team at the time. But averaged like eight points and six rebounds. Like he wasn't, you know, Dikembe Mutombo in the middle. He was kind of an average six foot nine out of position kind of center. Declared for the NBA draft. The day of the deadline, whatever it was, he's like, no, I'm going to come back to school. You know what declaring for the NBA draft allowed him to do? It allowed him to withdraw from all of his classes because he was giving up his eligibility for temporarily. Allowed him to withdraw from his classes because he was planning on leaving school. He was failing them. All of them. But he was able to withdraw without the withdraw-failing loss of eligibility, come back, re-enroll at Temple, play his senior year, and move on. Had he not done that, he would have not played at least the first semester of his senior year. Because his grades weren't good enough. Well, here's the problem. So he basically bought himself a year of eligibility yeah. by declaring. And, st- and that's after three years. Imagine what's going on now with these one-and-done guys. And, st- and stuff like that is going to happen unless we stop watching N- N- NCAA football and basketball on TV and eating it up and making right. brackets. It's going to happen because these players are going to have the pressure on them to compete in college and in the pros, You know, entertain us, uh, and and... and perform for the fans, and we're going to eat it up. And we will not, at the end of the day, care about it. So I, I don't really know. Th- those are two issues that are just going to The continue. one thing the one-and-done thing, I think, is doing, though, is that teams like Wichita State and Gonzaga are now becoming more prevalent than they were decades ago because guys that know they're not one-and-dones, guys that might need a few years to develop, aren't going to the Floridas right. and the and Kentuckys of the world. They're going to the Wichita States of the world because they know they're going to play for a few years and get all their college eligibility out. Right. You know, Doug McDermott obviously is a little different because his dad's his coach, but you know, you're seeing a lot more players like a Doug McDermott or like, uh, you know, random players, Isaiah Canaan from Murray state last year being one of them, where these guys are going to these schools, playing for four years, becoming names, Adam Morrison at Gonzaga and, um, and all the rest of them. We're running a little late on time. Lou, my college football one, by the way, would have been, I would abolish the clock stops on a first down rule. Cause I think that's stupid, but yeah, that's a good know, one. That that's, that's just kind of a, a nitpicky thing for me. NHL. Last one. What would I change about the NHL rules? No shootout. I get rid of the shootout. You took it. You took it from me. Well, it's okay that we agree, but I just. What's wrong with a tie? Oh, oh, you can't go there. I mean, it's 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 not that simple, but the shootout is like ending an NBA game in a three point contest or ending it's a totally baseball true. game in a home run derby. Totally true, but a, a tie is worse than all of them to me. Well, then what you can do to modify that rule in my mind, play a full overtime. Don't play a 5 minute overtime and then go to yes. shootout. Play 20 minutes and if there's no winner at the end of 80 minutes, then it's a tie. That's I what they do in the NFL. You play until they score. 
you've seen, I mean, it doesn't happen a lot, but you've seen the playoff games that go into five overtimes. It's kind of tough to do on any given night. But it's awesome. But I think if you went to the same rule as the NFL, the NBA is a little different because scoring is so quick and easy. But the same rule as the NFL. They play a full period, and if there's no winner at the end of the full period, the game ends in a tie. And even with the new rule changes in the NFL where teams get a possession if they don't score a touchdown on the first one, there's still only been, what, a couple of ties in the last years? It's not like it's a rampant uh, you know, abundance of these ties. So let them play 20 extra minutes. And if somebody doesn't score at that point, then okay, it's a tie. I think 20 extra minutes, if nobody scores, intermission, and play again. So basically the playoff system. Exactly. Because the playoff system is awesome and exciting. And for the most part, you don't go into quadruple overtime except for the very rare circumstance. Now I'm going to draw this back to a comparison you made about nobody cares about a mid-April game in baseball with this. Suppose you get a game like the, the Rangers-Capitals game from a couple years ago in the playoffs that went to the third overtime that ends at 1 o'clock in the morning. Do you think on a Wednesday night in October when a guy brings his kids to the game, he's going to stick around for all six periods? Well... Do you think people are going to stick around and watch on TV in a game in October and November for all six periods when the game ends at 1 o'clock in the morning? Well, I think for the most part, if you're watching at the end of the third period, you stick around. Unless, you know, hockey games are already shorter. They start at 7. Hockey games are shorter, yes. But if you're playing two full games in terms of intermissions and, and full periods, then that game that ends at 9.30, 9.45 is now ending at midnight. Well, I don't, you know, I don't work for A.C. Nielsen, and I don't understand or know how they, it, how how they do their job. How it works and, and whether or not people turn off the game after the third period because it's too late. But if, if you ask me, I think if you're awake at 10, you stay awake till 10.20 to watch the next 40 minutes of hockey. Because it's not like these are games that start at 9. They start no. at 7. So sometimes NHL games are over at 9.30. So right, and if they go if into overtime, sport, then it's over at 9.40. If there's any sport that can elongate on their games, it's the NHL, I think. Um, I don't know. It's a small disagreement, but in general... We both agree that um, no shootout, no shootout, because it, yeah, it's a totally it throws the who's better than who part of playing a game yep. out of, out the window, and it takes teams away from trying to win in overtime because they know well we got a point, so let's just take it to the shootout and take our chances. Keep fighting in, yep, uh, and maybe even in that longer overtime, you keep the four on four mode so that it's a little faster pace. Yes, I agree with that. Keep four on four. It's open ice. Easier chances to score. Very rare circumstance you're going to go 20 minutes without someone scoring at 4-on-4. Four four. Um, I'm trying to think about hockey. Like, do I do I have any other issues with it? Uh, I love the sport of hockey. I think the trapezoid thing was smart. Mm-hmm. Um, I like fighting. I don't, I don't watch hockey because of the fighting because I'm an actual hockey fan. Um, but it's fun when it happens. Right, and it doesn't happen that often. It happens the perfect amount. Right. Which is why you just kind of rely on the players to know when a good situation is for fighting. And when the, it's time to break it up, the referees do a pretty good job of saying, all right, you know, you've had your fun. I'm not going to sit here and let you hold each other's jerseys for 10 minutes. The NHL replay system sometimes just gets calls wrong. Um, it ignores common sense. But it's a, such a slippery slope because if a goal is in, everyone can see it, but you don't exactly have proof, which happens all the time. There's not enough evidence to reverse it or to say it's a goal. Yep. But that uh, happens in every sport. So realistically, you can't right. call replay 
in general as a as a problem outside of maybe one or two specific blown calls. I think the shootout is the is the main problem. But the one thing, Lou, about the shootout, and we have to finish up, but I do feel like the shootout for a hockey fan or not a hockey fan, but somebody who never watches hockey and turns on a shootout, that's exciting and it's easy to understand. And I think that that's why it exists because a shootout is exciting to somebody who doesn't care that much about the game. Now, if you're a huge Rangers fan and they've played the Caps for three periods in an overtime and they're tied at one and they are so close, they're just, you don't know which team is better. And, you know, you bring in Ovechkin, who is money from shootout, and, you know, you only have Brad Richards to counter, something like that. The shootout is exciting. From an outsider's perspective, it's a sexy way to end things. Exactly. And it's so easy to understand and so easy to follow, too. So I do think that there's a reason that the shootout is in the game. Well, and I think for us, that's a sexy way for us to end this edition of the Yes Men. I don't, that really I don't was know how you feel about that. Nice segue, right? Uh, so that's going to do it for this edition. If you uh, if you agree with us, disagree with us, have different ideas, again, tweet at us at Doug Williams. Yes is Doug at Lou DePetro. Yes is me. You can find that plastered all over YesNetwork.com and anything we write or do as well. Uh, and if you're listening to this on iTunes, great. If you're not and you want to, subscribe, rate, and review us. Let us know how we're doing that way as well. And we promise you that next week we'll be back with a little bit more sexy of uh, edition of the Yes Men back in our regular groove in terms of locale and content. Until next time, though, he is Doug. I am Lou. We are the Yes Men, and we'll see you then.